Every health system leader has executive management challenges facing their organization. This show supports leaders in addressing those challenges with cutting-edge information, leading strategies, and sharing best practices. Listen in and gain keen insight as industry leaders share their stories. The Baldridge Foundation welcomes you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Chuck Peck. Uh, I'm the co-host of the Baldrige Foundation Leader Dialogue podcast in collaboration with our About partner, Ben Sawyer. Ben and I have known each other for a long time, and it's it's great to have Ben here again uh, with us on today's podcast. Ben, we've been uh, talking a lot about the many challenges that health systems and health system leaders need to overcome particularly in this post-COVID world that we're living in. And we wanted to talk a little bit more about some of these challenges and the cost-benefit opportunities that, that come from meeting these challenges. Because, you know, it's not all negative. It's not all bad. There are some things that we can take in a positive way from what's gone on, particularly over the last couple of years, in making some needed changes in our organizations as well. And so over, over the next several podcasts, we're going to be, you know, attacking some of these challenges one by one, and we'll have some, uh, some different special guests on who are experts in some of these areas to help us work through some of these challenges. We've organized some of these, these conversations in a way that we hope will be helpful to you. Uh, we've broken them down really into, into four questions. And those four questions are, what's broken, what's confusing, what's missing, and what can you do about it? And what we want to do is we want to make sure that we, we give all of our listeners a takeaway nugget from each podcast that they can apply immediately to their own organization or any of the challenges that they're currently facing. And so today, what we'd like to do is we'd like to start with the workforce issues and, and talk in depth about some of those because in some of the surveys that we've done and some of the surveys that HFMA has done, it's clear to all of us that, that the major challenge that you tell us you're facing is around workforce. How to recruit, but even more importantly, retain your best people. So. Let's start that conversation now, and I'm going to turn it over to Ben, and Ben, maybe you can connect some of the dots between what we're talking about in terms of workforce and some of the, the competencies and structure that Baldridge has been talking about for year, years that might give us a foundation for the discussion. That sounds great, Chuck, and thanks for that intro and the welcome. It's just a pleasure, as always, to be on the show with you. So as the listeners may recall, on the homepage of the Leader Dialogue website, so they can reach that at www.leaderdialogue, and dialogue is spelled D-I-A-L-O-G-U-E.com, and they scroll down on the homepage, they will find something uh, described as the visual Baldridge organizational hierarchy of needs. And to your point, Chuck, what we'll do today then is reference that diagram. So we have kind of a home base of how organizations can leverage the different facets of their organizational hierarchy of need to gain success on these challenges. So as you just alluded to, 
this first discussion around what's broken, what's confusing, what's missing, what can you do about, about it, uh, we'll be looking at the challenges of recruitment retention strategies in the, in the milieu of, of the pandemic. That will tie specifically to category one, which is effective leadership and persistent learning, category two, which is strategy deployment, and category five, which is colleague engagement. And then what we'll do is talk about some of the process implications of that, which really are the workforce stressors, right? And what are the opportunities to be able to potentially use technology-enabled process optimization to reduce the stress that, that the workforce, particularly the nurses and other clinical staff are feeling. And that will address category number four, which is measurement analysis and knowledge management. Listeners can see that on the far left, as well as category five, again, colleague engagement, and category six, which is organizational effectiveness. The way the Baldrige framework works is it's fully integrated. So as you're addressing these different parts of the organizational hierarchy of needs, ultimately you're driving an improvement in your results, which is, is category seven. And that we'll, we'll touch on briefly in the cost benefit implications towards the end. So looking forward to the discussion, Chuck, and, and thanks again for uh, having me on the show. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Ben. So let's start by um, looking at uh, some of the potential post-COVID staff retention strategies that you might be able to utilize to, to address workforce issues. And again, what we've, what we've done is we've gone out into the marketplace and ask many of you and some of your peers what some of the best practice responses are to some of the retention strategies that, that we want to talk about. And we've created a list of 17 potential strategies. I'm not going to go through every one of these. I, I want to talk about one particular issue, but I do want to call out a few of them um, that we think uh, are, are really, really important. The first one I want to talk about is cultivating organizational resilience. And what, what we mean by that is, you know, showing a commitment to your clinicians and your staff's welfare and providing meaningful emotional support for them. In other words, letting them know without any question that you have their back. And I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that in a, in a minute as I address burnout, uh, which I think is really sort of the overarching umbrella theme uh, to all of what we're talking about here today. Uh, and I'll talk about that again in a second. The second point I really like to focus on is what I'll call culture over messaging. And what I mean by this is that there were issues that were already percolating up to the surface prior to COVID, uh, particularly with uh, nursing staff and some of the other uh, caregivers. And I'm talking about things like bullying in the workplace, workplace violence and incivility. And those are still issues that need to be addressed. And those are very important issues to your workforce. And in many instances are, are causing some of your workforce to leave you. And then finally, I wanna address the open, uh, opening of all potential lines of communication and being totally transparent in your communication about 
where the organization is and what the vision is going forward for the organization. But let me just step back for a minute. And if we look at, at all 17 of these uh, retention strategies and issues, really it seems to me after doing a lot of research and working with a lot of clients across the country, that burnout really is sort of the overarching theme for most of what the issues are rel relative to employee retention today. And, you know, burnout in my mind is about the workplace more than it is about the people. And, you know, we tend to think of burnout as an individual problem. And we try to address that problem with individual solutions like, well, why don't you just do more yoga or try some breathing techniques or practice resilience? You know, it, it seems like, like that's the answer, but it's much more complicated than that. And, you know, the case for burnout really seems less about the employee, but more about really the milieu in which the employee is working in their everyday life. And there's some really staggering statistics associated with this, particularly in, in uh, healthcare organizations, which, as we know, are some of the highest pressure job situations that one can find themselves in. And what the American Psychological Association has found is that healthcare costs are actually 50% greater in organizations with high workplace stress. And workplace stress is estimated to cost the U.S. economy more than $500 billion. So it's a huge problem with burned out employees being 2.6 times more likely to be actively seeking a different job. And so clearly, I think we have to address burnout. And so when asking employees about what it is that's causing them to feel the way they're feeling, there are five priorities or things that reasons that uh, employees point to. One is unfair treatment at work. Two is unmanageable workloads. Three is a lack of role clarity. Fourth is the lack of communication and support from their manager. And the fifth is unreasonable time pressures. So, you know, ask yourself as a leader, you know, what is making my staff so unhealthy and why does the work environment here lack the conditions for them to flourish? And I guess the bottom line really is, you know, how about digging into the data and asking our people what would make work better for them? And that's, I think, sort of the, the takeaway point, which is, I think we all try to assume that our retention strategies that I have listed here that we've talked about, um, that those are the answer for everybody in every situation. And, and I guess what we're saying is that uh, as the leader of the organization or as the manager in the organization, it's really important to ask your people what it is that's causing them to be stressed, what it is, what is it that's causing them to be leaving your organization, and what are some simple things that you might be able to do to reverse those trends. Ben, I think I'll turn it over to you and, and see what other thoughts that you have. Yeah, thanks, Chuck. I boy, I, I totally agree. I think that's really keen insight. And the the research that you pointed out there just just showcases how big of a problem this is. So one of the interesting things that you and I uh, and Roger have 
talked about before is that there's always process implications, right, with each of these sort of strategic challenges that come up with health systems. So what I thought I'd do, Chuck, is talk a little bit through this. And per our conversation before the show, we'll be generating a, a, a blog that has some of these images in it to make it easier for the listeners. So they, they'll be able to find that on the Baldridge Foundation uh, Leader Dialogue site under blogs. We'll also uh, publish it on the um, uh, About Healthcare uh, site if they want to go there. So let me just start uh, kind of like you did with the, the whole notion of what's broken, what's confusing, what's missing, and what can you do about it from a process implication standpoint. So let's talk about some very practical disconnects. So and we're going to do it relative to the progression of a patient in and out of an acute care facility, just for, by way of example. So when you talk about transfers, if there is lack of role clarity or unrealistic expectations or a lot of manual processes associated uh, with that, which is kind of what you were referring to, Chuck, the transfers become inefficient. The result of the organization is it can result in patient leakage, right? In other words, if you're unable to accept that patient, they're going to go somewhere else. And, and the root causal factor really are the manual processes and the fragmented reporting, the lack of clarity as to who's on call so that you can create assignments, the lack of visibility of bed manage, of what bed's available and all those sorts of things. So when you think of that from a process standpoint, there's some optimal flow opportunities. One is you can invest in deploying a seamless access and orchestration hub. Right. That what you're doing by doing that is you're setting up in advance a very predictable, clear process with roles and technology enabled processes and best practice in terms of on call provider management and so forth that allows you seamlessly to accommodate a transfer request, whether it's a inner hospital transfer or a transfer uh, in from an emergency uh, department or even a provider in the community. And basically what you're doing then is you're integrating functions, as I mentioned, such as on-call provider coordination, as well as things like computer-aided dispatch for your ambulance services. So again, inefficient transfers can result in patient leakage and a lot of stress on staff. The optimal flow opportunity is you can create a seamless access and orchestration hub with technology-enabled solutions. and, and before I go on, the notion is this is an augmentation to your EMR. So if, if your hospital is an Epic shop or a Cerner shop or whatever, it doesn't really make any difference. What you're doing is you're augmenting the, the EMR with composable solutions to effectively address these performance gaps and, and uh, maximize measurable results. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the term composability, Basically, it's a uh, an IT system design principle that deals with the interrelationships of components. So a highly composable system provides components that can be selected and assembled in various combinations to satisfy specific user requirements. And in, in the cases that I'm talking about, it's really helping you with your patient throughput optimization starting at the front, front door. All right, the second thing, and there's four of them here, second disconnect is Highly variable and delayed discharge plan. I think every healthcare administrator can relate to this. So this is adding excess days or avoidable days, right? So you have a 
you have a, a amount of the stay that is approved based upon the presenting condition of the patient with their severity of injury, illness, and intensity of services required. And there's a reliance on the staff to be able to determine or, or manage the estimated date of discharge right from the get-go and have the appropriate patient disposition information. And what that's doing with that demand, if they don't have the tools or capacity or time to do it, is it perpetuates patient care progression delays. So a flow opportunity, a process opportunity on that is to initiate discharge planning on admission, right? And you can use that estimated date of discharge and disposition intelligence in the daily multidisciplinary round as the key focus to make sure that there's coordinated planning and action. So this is alignment of staff roles, of efficient processes, as well as tech enabled solutions using your EMR as the foundation, but using composable solutions that can augment that to address that. The third uh, example is uh, tedious to manage and resolve barriers, right? So these are just logical patient flow barriers that come up. I can't get them into diagnostics. I'm waiting for the consulting physician, et cetera. And those things stress the workforce. I think everybody can relate to that. And, and often you have too many open orders to track and you need to text and call to prioritize. So considering prioritizing barriers and orchestrating those efforts with the ancillaries to resolve them and exploring artificial intelligence and machine learning opportunities to identify those rate limiting steps and promote best next steps is a great way of addressing that. The final one is post-acute, right? So you're at the back end of the stay because you haven't really dealt with it up front, you have access and transport impediments and it really overloads the care team and resource. And it just creates chaos at the end of the acute care, the acute care stay. And discharge becomes this big wall. It's not a speed bump anymore. It's a big sort of wall. And it, it, it's compromising your patient throughput and also your ability to balance the demand that you have for your services and the capacity to actually meet that. So, Again, another consideration in this uh, to reduce workflow stress is to be able to ensure that your post-acute care provider options are clear and available to schedule early. So having a curated post-acute care provider network and then being able to leverage that up front in your orchestration hub so that you're making those kinds of early decisions as soon as you have clarity in your multidisciplinary round that a patient is going to need something. And find effective tools to manage those pack reservations and transport. All of those things help to decompress staff and drive sustainable results. So Chuck, I know that was a lot. There are those four issues around efficient transfers, highly variable and delayed discharge planning, tedious to manage and resolve barriers in the patient like to stay, and then post-acute care access and transport. But I, I think it ties very well to what you, you talked about up front with kind of the overarching issues of workforce stress. Your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, we also started off uh, the podcast by, by telling folks that we were not just going to talk about these challenges, but also, uh, you know, talk a little bit about the cost benefit analysis related to these. And there are, there's, there are some very definite cost benefit um, either disadvantages or opportunities and revenue 
associated with with getting what Ben just talked about either right or wrong. And so if we if we break each of these steps, so to speak, down into into segments, we can actually attach a dollar value to getting these things right or wrong. And I always like to start with the end in mind. And I think the end in mind for all of us, including our patients and their families, is to have a positive outcome, have uh, have a high quality, safe stay or interaction on the outpatient basis with our with our doctors, our, our clinicians, our health system. And so let's start with with Ben's example of the inpatient stay and the end in mind. And the end in mind. Obviously, one of the one of those ends is to get the patient back home or uh, to wherever their disposition is with a good outcome. But also, we want to make sure that we avoid readmissions, which are very, very costly. And when we look at the data, the average cost of a readmission, if these things aren't done well, as, as Ben was talking about, is about $14,400 to our system. So instead of making what we should in terms of revenue based on taking care of a patient, we can basically eliminate all of that revenue just by having that patient readmitted. So all the things Ben just talked about are really, really critical to get right. On the other hand, if we start with the beginning in mind, uh, which includes what I would say is one call access, uh, where you have uh, the the on-call provider ready to go, uh, the patient seen quickly in the emergency room, the bed assigned immediately and properly to the, to the right place in the hospital for that patient, so there, there, there doesn't need to be any transfers once the patient's admitted, and then really utilizing the key lever that Ben mentioned, which is the estimated date of discharge, and talking about those on daily multidisciplinary rounds, getting those three things right, access, admission, and then getting the estimated date of discharge right and getting that patient through the system. On average, the contribution margin for doing those things right is close to $11,000. That's $11,000 of positive revenue. If we then look at the patient once they're in the system, and if we're able to clinically progress them through their care in a timely and effective way and get them to the estimated date of discharge, that's also a positive revenue opportunity because we've, we've looked at the data and the revenue opportunity per bed turn, if the uh, observed over expected ratio is less than one, is about $1,500. That progression of care is dependent on a lot of the things that, that Ben just discussed. And one of the, one of the things that we found some systems doing uh, is, is really looking at what I would call a care coordination center. And I'm not talking about the full-blown command center that we've, that we've looked, uh, read about and seen in the, in the literature. Uh, some of these with, you know, give us this visual of a, of a room filled with people with multiple monitors, uh, and and that's fine if that's if that's what your what your system needs, but there are some much simpler things that we can do to really help the the patient progress smoothly through the the, the care in the hospital. 
Some of those things include even just co-locating some of the key people within the care team in one place so that there's better communication. This might include people like what I would call a bed czar, uh, somebody who knows exactly where all the open beds are and exactly who's going to be discharged or needs to be discharged early in the day. It might include uh, an ancillary coordinator whose job it is is to make sure that people get their, their uh, imaging, their labs done in a timely manner and knowing who it is that needs to be discharged so that those people are moved up the list and made sure that they get their tests done early in the day so that their discharge isn't delayed. It may include having the co-location co of the, uh, the navigator there for, so that after they're discharged, somebody's there to check up on them, make sure they're taking their meds, being compliant, and so that we don't end up with a very costly readmission later on. And then finally, once we're, we're through the progression of care and we're looking at the discharge order to get the patient out of the bed and discharge to wherever it is they're going, making sure that the bed is cleaned and available. And if we, if we can't get that right, even something as simple as getting the bed cleaned and available, that can cost as much of as $1,000 per avoidable day if we don't get that right. And really at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is to enable a friction-free consumer experience from the time the patient hits the door to the time that they're discharged. And that's really what this is all about. And so, you know, we believe that there are ways that, that some of these challenges can be met. And there are methodologies and, and the utilization of technology to facilitate some of these things that we think can be very, very helpful. And Ben, you might wanna talk a little bit more about those. Yeah, so Chuck, that's a great layout. And I, I think for the listeners, we chose, because a lot of you work in the acute care space in particular, to elucidate those transitions from a cost-benefit standpoint. But it's obvious that, particularly in today's world, there's a lot of different care environments for patients, telemedicine, hospital at home, post-acute, et cetera. And what Chuck has just talked about is true in any environment of care. It's being able to really codify and think ahead as to how can we as an organization maximize our access our, our throughput and our, our transition of care to the next setting and have that visible and seamless essentially across an enterprise, particularly the complexity with large health systems. And that's, that's doable. There are another couple things of, of lean principles here. So one of the principles of lean is always do early what you can because whatever task you delay on is gonna take longer. So the notion that Chuck was talking about of trying to bring people and processes together up front, start with discharge planning, not admission, don't wait until halfway or later in the care, is going to streamline things and make it much easier. Also, the process of taking out waste and variability and consolidating roles where possible so that you can decompress the basic caregivers in the, in the patient units is it's also an important factor. So if we needed to summarize this, I think what you're looking at is kind of a blended approach, integrated system of care, right? You have, you have this notion of maximizing the front door, um, 
where you have, you know, a organized call center, you have computer-aided dis dispatch transportation, you're able to identify up front the optimal care setting and really maximize your communication and collaboration within the capacity and throughput you're, you're enabling that with operational and predictive uh, artificial intelligence and data, you're maximizing your patient provider communication and your multidisciplinary rounds focused on that patient progression, enterprise bed visibility, automating workflows, and then you're anticipating post-acute and you're coordinating those transitions of care. And again, doing discharge planning from the, from the beginning all the way through uh, so that the patient can have a seamless transition. So Chuck, I think that's kind of the color commentary um, as it relates to the discussion today. Maybe you can provide that summary that you talked about, sort of the takeaway nugget that, that we want to provide the listeners. Sure. Thanks, Ben. So again, we, we wanted to try to uh, always provide something that you can take away from this podcast and actually apply immediately within your own setting. And so what we want, what we'd like for you to consider is a blend of two things. Uh, one is staffing strategies. And the second is a technology-enabled process improvement methodology to reduce workforce stress and improve staff recruitment and retention. And we've tried to demonstrate that there is a cost-benefit implication of getting these things right. And we think that that, that, that cost-benefit implication uh, of doing so are well worth the time and investment that, to, that it takes to get there. And a lot of these things may seem self-evident, uh, but, but it really takes some, some thoughtfulness and some processes and methodologies as outlined in the Baldridge framework that we started with in order to provide this seamless care that we're all looking for and a good outcome, an effective outcome, and a cost-effective uh, and, and cost-benefit outcome that we're all looking for. So thanks oh. a lot for attending today's podcast. Uh, hopefully you've gotten some, some positive takeaways that you can utilize in your organization. And Ben, we'll look forward to uh, seeing everybody in the next podcast that's coming up soon. Yeah. And Chuck, just a quick reminder for people, we will be uh, providing a more detailed three-part webinar series starting November 30th. It'll go November 30th, December 14th, and January 18th together as a leader dialogue team. Um, and we'll start addressing these topics. We'll get into more detail on the workforce stresses. We'll, we'll end with the concept of how do you operate as one system, which it was the second highest need that executives uh, had identified. So really looking forward to engaging our listeners as they want in more detail and again, thanks so much, Chuck, for your lead on this. So thank you, Ben, and thanks to our listeners for being here today for our Leader Dialogue podcast.